Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Travel and Tourism Podcast, my first season. Special guest today, special why? Well, he's from Montreal, and so am I, so there. Now, we worked together before in Columbus Isle, but, but you know, uh, rather than forgetting each other, we vaguely remember each other, so I'm very happy. <laughs> I, I do remember him now, and he's promised to send me more photos from Columbus Isle, where we crossed paths during the 97-98 uh, season. However, his first season was in Turks and Caicos, in September of 1995, and he was the aide Econom. He is from Montreal, but has been living in London, England for the last 20 years. I'm going to ask him how he's done that. So without further ado, please help me welcome to my first season, William Connors. Hey, William, how are you? Thanks for having me today. Everything okay over there in England? Yes, absolutely. It's nice uh, winter's coming, just as it is in Canada. Well, we're recording this on Labor Day. It won't come out on Labor Day, but do you have Labor Day in England? Yes, but it's actually the week previous, so oh. uh, Labor Day was last uh, week for me. English always have to be different, don't they? Just kidding. I love the English. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you know how we, we do here on the show? You've told me you're from Montreal, and you you know you started in 95, but um, I understand, did you go to university and obtain a like hospitality management degree? Is that true? Yes, I did two years in Carleton, and then I actually went to Japan for two years and taught English. And then when I came back, I was... Wait a minute, uh, William, William, hold up. We're, stick, we're sure. sticking with Carleton, because I work for Concordia University. So you mentioned Carleton. So if you're from Montreal, did you go to Carleton because Montreal did not offer that program? Yeah, I, I went to Loyola, and then I went to uh, a school called LCC for grade 12. And so by going to LCC, it basically made it very difficult for me to go to Quebec University. So I went across the border to Ontario. LCC, we only have 11, uh, 11 grades in Quebec high school. So did, or did you go to Ontario for? No, uh, it still is available in um, Lower Canada College. They have a special uh, kind of uh, grade 12 year. So it kind of bypasses CJEP. And uh, but once you do that, uh, basically, uh, you have to go to the Ontario or somewhere else. Uh, uh, Quebec requires uh, a two year program in CJEP. OK. And then you said you moved to Japan to teach English. Yes. How's your Japanese? Still really good, actually. Uh, when I was there, it was actually incredibly good. And uh, uh, I was in a very small town called Otaru. So there was 106,000 people and there was three foreigners. So people were running up and down the street when they saw me. They thought it was uh, it was like being an alien in uh, Japanese culture. But uh, they embraced me. I embraced Japan and uh, I picked up the language. And then immediately after, I started working in a hotel in um, Niagara Falls, and basically I had a, a Spanish phone, a French phone, a Japanese phone, and uh, I was uh, doing translating for like parties and stuff as well, like because uh, they had like uh, pro golf tournaments and stuff. And I thought, man, I really like this. So I basically continued on, did hotel management, and uh, um, got a scholarship to uh, Schiller in Florida. And then immediately after, Wait, um, sorry, William, what what is Schiller in Florida? Uh, sorry, Schiller International University. It, it's a, a hotel management school based in uh, Dunedin, which is near uh, St. Petersburg. But you already had a degree in hospitality management. So was this just an extension of that? Oh, no. It, basically, uh, the first two years in Carleton, it was just a general university. Um, and then basically, when I went to uh, Schiller, then that was when I got my bachelor's of business administration in hotel management. You got an MBA. No, 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 not an MBA, just a oh, DBA. 
Oh, BBA. Okay, got it. Okay. All right. Wow. So at what point during during all this, uh, your work in education, did you find out about Club Ed? Did you see an ad somewhere? Did somebody tell you about it? Well, it was funny because uh, in Florida, you would have thought that I would have uh, been more aware of uh, Club Med. I've always seen the commercials I saw, you know, like everyone uh, knew or talked about Club Med, but I didn't really have any real exposure. But when I went back to Montreal, I was uh, working just uh, an odd job for my family, I think. And uh, uh, this guy that uh, was a windsurfer at Club Med said, oh, I just came back from there. And so uh, that kind of got the ball rolling. And then uh, I found out they were doing interviews. And so I got an interview and I got a job all in within about a month. Okay. And you had your interview in Montreal, correct? So you applied once yes. and they uh, they contacted you. Now, uh, where was that at a hotel in Montreal? Uh, it was, uh, yes, it was in, uh, I can't remember which hotel it was, but uh, I spoke with a very nice lady and uh, she had a very strange uh, uh, range of uh, questions, which I mean, maybe not strange. Like, like what? It was, well, she said, have you ever uh, dressed up as uh, like, I think it was a, a duck or something. And I said, yeah, yeah, no problem like that. And uh, it, it, I was actually thinking about when I was working as uh, an English teacher in Japan, I was uh, uh, doing dress ups and acting uh, uh, in lots of different ways to entertain uh, my students. So uh, Basically, I said, yeah, yeah, it's uh, kind of all the same. Little did I know that that was kind of like a, uh, <laughs> like she was actually serious. Okay. And now th- this this nice lady, did she uh, ask you what you wanted to do, like for a job at that point? No, nah, they were actually advertising specifically for uh, assistant food and beverage managers, aid economics. And uh, my experience actually meshed in with uh, what they were looking for. For uh, jobs like aid econom or aid gestion and stuff, uh, it's uh, like, uh, I think I'd like to think that they have uh, like uh, real qualifications and stuff. It's it's not quite the same as, you know, some of the other jobs where people just show up like uh, they were, they kind of wanted to see my credentials and stuff. And from the interview till you get the call, like how, how many days, weeks, months past? A week. Yeah, week? basically. Wow, uh, week. Yeah, they just said... Uh, uh, like thanks for your uh, thanks for your interview. Uh, we'd like to send you. And so I did a couple of weeks of training in Sandpiper, and then uh, like uh, there was about twelve of us. And then uh, it was quite funny. It was like a, a game show. Philip Hoffman uh, was uh, the person who trained me. And he says, "William, you are going to Tuckwise." And so uh, I just basically jumped on a flight after that and uh, began my career. Okay, so you and I both had our first season in, in Turks and Caicos. You were a year after me. Now, did you know that, like me, that you were fortunate enough, that you were lucky enough to be sent? Like, Did you know anything about Turks? I didn't know anything about Turks, but uh, based on the uh, immediate feedback by everyone, I was like, oh, okay, I'm going uh, to some place that's fun, and were which they, I was uh, very thankful. And were they jealous and angry at you? <laughs> because uh, you find out everyone wants to go to Turks, right? Yeah, uh, I mean, honestly, I, I didn't really know. Like, uh, I, I'm happy I did, and it was a great experience, but uh, I was completely clueless. Okay, and you get there, September 95, and uh, Ye is the chief of village, is that right? Yes, uh, there was actually quite a star-studded lineup uh, uh, when I arrived. Uh, so Ye was the chief of village. There was uh, Greg, who was our chief of sports, and uh, actually, like uh, Greg yeah. uh, Snyder is before chief of village. No, no, not Greg Snyder. Uh, uh, a different Greg, right? Because uh, yeah. a different Greg. Yeah, okay. um, 
actually, uh, forgive me, I can look up his name afterwards because it is uh, uh, on my list, but uh, I'm terribly sorry if I can't remember. That's okay. Well, who else did you have there? Uh, well, Cookie was the chief of animation. Oh, uh, yeah. uh, Handel was chief of land sports. Oh. Um, and uh, there was Big, who was assistant uh, uh, animator. So there's quite a few people uh, starting out at the exact same time as I was. Okay. Wow. So this is, I, I didn't know there were two Bigs because I, I worked with a Big Big. So I guess you have Big Big and Big. <laughs> okay. Now, yeah, it's funny because I, um, in the information you supplied me, you mentioned Cookie. And Cookie, I think, was from Malaysia and a very funny guy. And I think one of your favorite animation passages is one he did, right? Can you describe that? Oh uh, yeah, well, I I I think actually uh, um, I, I, when I first arrived, I thought that uh, maybe this is the norm, but uh, I've never seen uh, since such dedication to his craft, and uh, it really was a craft. Like uh, every single day, he had a different passage, and I, I, I there was a rumor that he had like a book of about two thousand pages of uh, incredible things, but everything that man did was unbelievable. So the one passage that. Uh, he did like when I first arrived, which was kind of around uh, Halloween was, was uh, there was one person in a headless outfit. So the person couldn't see out, but uh, there was another person with a, um, a hole in the table. So somebody's head was poking out and it looked like it was uh, on a dinner plate and they covered it up very well. And so the head on the table was basically trying to direct uh, the hand like uh, to put food in its mouth. And it was absolutely amazing. I've never seen anything uh, uh, so incredible, like let alone in a resort, like just uh, uh, art in general. It was amazing. Do you have uh, vivid memories of arriving that first week of your first season in Turks and Caicos or is it hazy or uh, did you make any uh, mistakes? Uh, (laughs) uh, Well, my biggest mistake I'd say was uh, probably the the first time uh, like on stage because uh, I'd always thought of myself as a, a decent dancer, you know, like, and then on stage, I kind of realized that uh, uh, being able to move uh, to the music has nothing to do with being on stage and dancing within a group. So, uh, the, like, it was also very uh, well. Wait, wait a minute, sorry, sorry, William. Excuse me, one sec. Now, did you know that, or because your first season, that did you know that you didn't have to do the shows because you were aid econom, or you you want this is something you wanted to do? You approached the animation team. Nah, they suggested I do the shows because they said it was part of the Club Med experience, and it is. Like, uh, okay. I think anyone that uh, uh, works in Club Med, uh, they should do the shows. I mean, uh, um, my job required me to be up every morning at like uh, six thirty, seven a.m. to uh, uh, kind of go into the the kitchens and uh, the restaurants and stuff. But uh, with that said. I, I think the shows is probably one of the highlights of uh, uh, my whole experience with Club Med. So I, I, th- I thought it was great. But with that said, it was uh, overwhelming because everyone was incredibly beautiful. Like, uh, my God, uh, just everyone was tanned, you know. And uh, But also, too, I kind of realized uh, I, I'm i a, a terrible uh, stage dancer. Like, well, I, I think eventually I kind of got a little bit better. But uh uh, everyone was like, oh, you're in the way, you're in the way, move like that. And, uh, <laughs> like, uh, I, I really felt like a bit of an ugly duckling uh, to start with. Uh, but uh, eventually you kind of uh, get your wings and uh, get settled in. Do you remember this the show that you were in, what it was called or what shows you Cotton-eyed were doing? Cotton-Eyed Joe. Yeah. Oh, co- cotton- <laughs> okay, that's a, that's a pretty fast number, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. And okay. I was completely lost. I, I was just being bounced around. But uh, that, okay. uh, I think... Uh, Later on and stuff, we were doing uh, Tomb Raider, 
And uh, I remember the the person in front of me, they, they kind of take all the uh, kitchen people and put them in uh, like uh, the shows where you don't need to be uh, super complicated in your dancing and stuff. So uh, for Tomb Raider, they gave uh, a lot of the kitchen team like a, a torch. And so we all came in from the beach. It was kind of the first start. And then you get up on stage and do the, uh, the monkey dance. And uh, I remember... I was placed in a line with my torch behind a guy with uh, from the kitchen who had a ton of body hair. Like uh, uh, all the kitchen people say, oh, he has a chemise, you know, he has like a sweater. And of course, me staring at uh, the crowd because I'm kind of starstruck. I like uh, you kind of stop when you hit the stairs walking up the stage and my torch hit his back and I basically set the poor guy aflame. And uh, I just remember him like doing this huge yelp. And then there was a big, thick smoke cloud coming off his body and uh, everybody kind of patted uh, the fire off him. But like, I was just okay. Let me get this straight, William. So you, you, a guy was wearing a mohair sweater. Let's just call it that. And yep. you accidentally uh, tripped and then the, yeah. So, okay. <laughs> So, so it, the hair ignited and uh, okay. yeah, I've never, and, I've, never, and, uh, I've never seen, seen that or heard of that uh, before. So that's a very unique uh, story. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, I, I'm, I'm the, the guy never did like me. And uh, like, yeah, everyone started, all the crowd started gagging with it because uh, uh, melted body hair doesn't really smell yeah. like it. And, yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, he hated me and I just felt uh, kind of guilty for the rest of the year. So. Well, accidents happen, right? Come on. Yep, yep. <laughs> what, what, what else do you remember from that first season? Did you have any JoJo stories? Did you get to see the dolphin? Yes. Or were you always working? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, JoJo was actually quite good because it would uh, pop up on the beach. And of course, uh, uh, the, the, the guests would be staring inwards, like uh, like uh, towards the, the beach in the hotel. And JoJo would pop its head and everyone would be like, look, look, look. And uh, the, the person would be like, what? And then like she'd turn around and uh, Jojo would disappear and it'd come up again. But uh, for myself, uh, I taught myself how to uh, windsurf. And so sure enough, I'm like, uh, th that was one thing where, uh, you know, like if you're learning to windsurf, uh, you're going five miles an hour and you're thinking that you're uh, like uh, breaking the sound barrier. And then you have some guy from the windsurf team just whip right by you, hey? So uh, anyway, I was uh, going my 10 miles an hour and Jojo was uh, right below me. And so I was just like, good Lord, don't let me fall. Don't let me fall, you know. But it, it was Jojo, uh, not a shark, thank goodness. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so who was your, uh, who's your boss then, back then? Corrado. Corrado. Corrado Saruti. He was the uh, the food and beverage manager or uh, chef de service. And so, uh, yeah, he was a great big six foot five Italian guy who had a real deep voice like that. And uh, he was actually a, a really nice man, uh, but it just took a while to know him. But uh, for him, it was funny. Forgive me to break into stories right away. No, no, I, we but, like um, stories here. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, uh, we would have a mishui, which is like uh, they would dig out like a big part of the beach and they'd put in charcoal and they'd dig. And so they had uh, um, uh, a full lamb on a spit. And basically he, he took great pride in this. So he basically sat there on the beach sweating profusely and just turning the spit. And all these Americans kept coming up to him saying, oh, that's a funny looking turkey. He's like, it is lamb, like that. And they're like, what? He goes, lamb, lamb, like that. And they're just like, wow, oh, is that a dog? He's like, lamb, like that. And they're just like, you talk funny, man. Take care. And uh, 
even after it was like uh, cooked and set up and whatever, they came back and said, dude, that was the best turkey I've ever had. <laughs> he said, oh! <laughs> he couldn't speak much English. like uh, so, But it, he was so funny uh, just watching him from a distance. Since you were already well-traveled, you know, by this point. So did you have any kind of culture shock or we'll call it club med culture shock? Uh, like, I don't know, uh, the, the the amount of speedos running around topless women. Did you have any of that your first season? Well, I mean, uh, yeah, there, there was the odd uh, topless woman. So I would uh, find like uh, reasons to like uh, walk by and just, you know, but, I, it's, I, uh, but it's unsettling though. Right. Because we're from Montreal. We're not, we're not used to that. You know, we don't have yeah. any, like nude beaches or nude parks. Uh, yeah. I was just, I was just uh, curious if you had any, or like on um, like Chris working, well, you said you had no problem working seven days a week. Right. I think you mentioned. Well, it, I mean, uh, uh, Club Med does install a, a very strong work ethic, work ethic. and uh, at the time when I joined, there was actually no days off. So the first three weeks, I think I was like, man, yeah, hanging in there and stuff. And I'm kind of like, God, I'm getting tired. You know, like, uh, this is pretty difficult. After the third week, I was like, oh, God, I need a break. And uh, but then uh, you just kind of catch in to the flow and you keep going so yeah like uh, when they had the uh they initiated the day off which was a year later it was really good but uh yeah like uh working without uh, a day off I, I did that for two years and uh, like uh, you just kind of uh guess get a farmer's mentality okay <laughs> So here's something interesting, William, I find, because you did your first season at Turks and Caicos, and uh, immediately thereafter, your second season is in Valbella, Switzerland, which is pretty uncommon. That never really happens, right? Normally, you stay in the zone. So how did it happen that a North American Geo's second season, right off the bat, goes to Valbella, Switzerland? Did you request this? No. Uh, in reality, they uh, wanted to give me a very uh, different site right off the bat because I had a really good season in Turks and Caicos and uh, uh, Corrado and uh, Ye and everyone spoke very highly of me. So they sent me to uh, Valbella, which is a beautiful place in the Swiss Alps, but it was actually the most brutally hard season I've ever had, I think. I arrived, and the first thing is is uh, they spoke French, which is fine. I spoke French, but probably not quite as good as uh, uh, the French people, of course. Everyone spoke uh, German. The uh, like uh, there was Swiss German spoken by the suppliers, and uh, like uh, even Italian. And so the the food and beverage manager that I was working with, he goes, "Oh, Monet Deconom," you know, like the person that's going to uh, do all his work for him throughout the year. And I said, "Yeah, but I, I can't speak German like that." And the guy's like, "Why are you here?" And I'm like, "Because Club Med sent me." <laughs> and uh, they're just like, "I don't need you. Go home like that." And I'm like, "Well." And so the food and beverage manager called his boss, whoever that was, and basically said, no, he's staying. Like, uh, we need to train him. Like, uh, uh, he's over here to, uh, to be trained. And, uh, you know, if he doesn't speak uh, German, then, you know, it's like a uh, tough luck. Well, uh, I, take it, I, it. I take it that you started learning on your own some German, right? Like, like I'm sure you did Japan, right? Well, I actually did. I, I went and uh, uh, called my mom. I said, Mom, send me a, a German-English dictionary ASAP. So I started uh, like uh, learning and translating uh, on the spot. To, uh, and again, it's it's kind of a difficult job to begin with, but like uh, to like 
pick up German on the fly is really yeah. hard. But then even when I'm uh, speaking German, I'm like, ah, expecting the Deutsche, like that. Then uh, all of a sudden it turns out that the suppliers are speaking Swiss German, which uh, is like even different. And so I, I just, uh, I had a miserable time there. Like uh, I worked so hard and uh, basically I, I saw the mountains once. Like uh, okay. the, the whole rest of the time I spent uh, working my ass off trying to figure out what I was doing with a very unsympathetic uh, French economic and uh, uh, German suppliers. It, it, and it was just a terrible place. Like uh, the, uh, I'm not being a negative, but it was just... Uh, it was a difficult time, uh, and I was very happy to get back uh, uh, to my next season, which was uh, Cancun. That's right. Cancun, March of 97. Your chief of village was Rico Paoletti, correct? Yeah, great man. First time in Cancun. Imagine you had fun there, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I mean, uh, one thing which I think that uh, would be of interest uh, to yourself and possibly whoever's uh, listening is uh, just uh, working in the food and beverage area, it was sometimes surreal. So I uh, uh, worked in Cancun with a gentleman called Ricky and a really nice guy. And uh, there was about no less than 300 suppliers standing outside our our door trying to speak with us. And so each supplier, we'd uh, let them in and uh, like, um the person would be like okay what do you have to sell and they have this beautiful book with like thousands of products and so so we say okay fine we want to order some flour we want to order and they would all say no hi no hi and uh it's like wait a minute you've got uh, thousands of stuff here but you've got nothing in stock and it turns out that everyone's just kind of basically finding out what you want and then going to someone else to find uh, a product and selling it so he, he opened up the door and said anyone that's not able to deliver something for tomorrow please leave and about uh, literally 200 people just walked away like uh you know it, it was just incredible like uh but also uh, cancun was quite the happening place yeah yeah i'll say uh now did you get to hopefully you got to go out and da- go to downtown cancun at least once a <laughs> uh, little bit but uh not as much as uh uh, the others, I would go up maybe uh, once a month. But yeah, there was uh, Daddy-O's and uh, a couple of other uh, fancy places. They were really good fun. That the, the nightclubs in Cancun, I think, are probably the nicest I've seen anywhere in the world. Did you go to uh, Daddy-O's or my favorite, Coco Bongo? Yeah, um, I went to Daddy-O's uh, probably as much as I could, uh, which was like once a month. And uh, Coco Bongo's, I think, went once. Uh, I mean, they're, they're just incredible. Now, you have a funny story of uh, Cancun about a chef asking you if his girlfriend could visit for two weeks. So was it this season or the your last season? No, it, it was that one. Okay, uh, so l- l- let's hear this. Yeah, so this chef asked if his girlfriend could come visit and work, and then you take it from here. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, uh, I guess uh, one thing uh, that kind of is important to clarify is, is the chef himself just showed up one day. Uh, like normally, uh, you know, like uh, they're hired in from Quebec or France or something. But this guy just showed up when, uh, at the door one day and said, can I have a job? And we were so desperate for chefs. Uh, they did a bit of a test and they said, OK, yeah, he's pretty good. 
so uh, about a month later, he goes like uh, at this time I was uh, acting uh, food and beverage manager because uh, the food and beverage manager had gone. It was between seasons or whatever. And so uh, uh, he's like, uh, Will, my girlfriend, you know, uh, I love her with all my heart. I'd like to have her uh, visit me for a couple of weeks and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, OK, you got au pair. And uh, they're like, what's au pair? And I go, oh, they they work for like a couple of hours a day and uh, uh, they, they can stay with you if, like so for free room and board. And it was like, oh, OK, sounds OK. So I met her. And so I uh, basically uh, introduced her to the animation. And I'm like, OK, good. My job's done. Thank you. So they gave her a bit of a tryout. And uh, it was uh, the stage for uh, going into the restaurant. So, you know, they do these little shows and stuff, but very, very small scale. So they put out the basketball bleachers. And so um, it was uh, Kiss the Girl by um, uh, The Little Mermaid. So they had three, I guess, sailing geos uh, show up and uh, kind of do the funny dance. And that was supposed to be the skit. So she comes out and she had a nice long flowing dress you know, the high kick and stuff. And it was all kind of normal. And then all of a sudden, like that, off goes the top. And she was nude from the top up. And I've never experienced in my entire life, uh, like 500 people go like that. And uh, like, I looked over at uh, the chef and he's like, yeah, that's my girlfriend. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God. Like that. So, so wait a minute. So it turns out she was a dancer, but are you saying she was kind of an exotic dancer? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Yeah, and it, it, okay. it honestly didn't dawn on me at all. So, okay. but it it didn't stop there. Like, uh, literally, like uh, the the three uh, sailing geos just kind of like kind of completely dumbfounded, just stopped dancing. <laughs> it's this one girl, and so she's running around like basically uh, uh, like uh, holding her assets and showing them to the crowd, and then she basically whips off the bottom, and. and she did keep her G-stick on, so uh, thank goodness for that. But uh, <laughs> she started doing uh, these handstands and scissor kicks up in the air. In the meantime, I could like uh, hear the animator who was sitting over having a, an espresso by the bar saying, somebody stop her, please, please. And so he ran all the way from uh, where the bar is in Cancun to where the restaurant is and literally tackled her and carried her over his shoulder into one of the side rooms. And like everyone was just like stunned silence. And then finally somebody came, uh, dinner is served, everyone going up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. And did, I, uh, I mean, uh, the, the animation, day, did the animation team come find you after? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I, no. I, well, well I, oh, I know she was properly vetted. I guess uh, she was saving that like for for the encore finale. I guess the, uh, you know. <laughs> well, uh, she stuck around for three months. Like, oh, uh, okay. So it, so it was, they, uh, okay, that's good. They probably just said, don't I, do that anymore. Like when you're dancing to The Little Mermaid, uh, you know, because... <laughs> That's it. I was sure that uh, all of us were going to be uh, turfed out that night, but uh, uh, everything settled down. And uh, sometimes late in the, the disco, she would uh, uh, have a few drinks and do the upside down uh, scissor kicks thing, like uh, fully clothed. But uh, okay. yeah, uh, <laughs> she right. stuck around and she actually was an OK geo, I guess. Well, that is Cancun, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Then after Cancun, you take a break and then you go to St. Lucia in April 98. Okay. 
you do uh, you do have a funny St. Lucia story because as we're getting close to Halloween or this will air around Halloween, um, would you be able to tell me your pumpkin story? Because I found it that uh, hilarious. I found that hilarious. Yeah. Oh that. man, I tell you, I I, I made a couple of uh, big mistakes as a uh, in my job and stuff, and uh, one of which uh, somebody out there is going to start yelling at uh, uh, the monitor. I. I accidentally ordered like uh, 20 cases of lime juice instead of uh, lemon juice in uh, Turks and Caicos. And then when I went back three or four years later, it was still there. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, some idiot ordered uh, this. And I'm just like, oh God, well, what a nut. Like, uh, knowing full well it was me. Like, uh, but, uh, and the, the similar thing happened in the in St. Lucia where I was very busy. And so uh, uh, the chef de village said, I want to have three, 30 or 40 uh, pumpkins to um, like kind of uh, give to the kids. And so I was like, okay, yep, fine. And uh, I was in a rush. And back then, they didn't have email at the site. So basically, you had to take a, a fax and basically fax everything to uh, the supplier. So I had a price list and it just said pumpkins and it said market price and with a P. So I'm like 30 pounds. 30 pieces. I don't really care. I like, uh, I'll just, uh, whatever. And I just put 30 and just sent it off. And all of a sudden, uh, like, again, I, I never thought about it for like a month. And then all of a sudden uh, this truck pulls up and it had uh, 30 pallets of uh, pumpkins and uh, Philip Hoffman, my, uh, uh, like the area manager was actually sitting at my desk and uh uh, like uh, just to see out the window, this enormous truck of pumpkins. It's the most pumpkins I've ever seen in my entire life. And he goes, what is that? I'm like, oh, I'll find out. Don't worry. Like that. And I go out and I said, you got to get out of here. And the guy's like, oh, and I go, leave, leave. Like that. So the guy backed up and uh, I, I just basically took uh, 30 pumpkins, which amounted for like half a pallet. And uh, said, oh, yeah, that's for the rest of the all of St. Lucia. And he goes, it's a lot of pallets. It's a lot of pumpkin. Oh, my God. Who's crazy about that? And I'm just like, I don't know. So the next day, I had a secret call with the supplier saying, you've got to help me out here. So uh, he's like, oh, yeah, I've got a backhoe. And I basically uh, uh, dug this enormous hole in one of the uh, beaches and just dumped all the pumpkins in. And he said, I'll charge you like uh, 5 or 10% extra, uh, like uh, over and above the regular price, uh, just to kind of cover it. And I said, fine, thank you. you know. And so six months later, he says, Hey, good news. Your pumpkins have been paid off. And I, I don't completely forgot about the pumpkins like that. But yeah, somewhere, sometimes somebody's going to find like a thousand pumpkins, like uh, basically buried underneath the beach. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like uh, it wasn't my proudest moment, but uh, uh, in retrospect, uh, 20 years later, it's kind of funny. Well, being in St. Lucia, please tell me, William, you had some time to windsurf there because that's one of the best spots in Club Ed. So did you get to windsurf at all? Absolutely. And okay, uh, I had a fantastic time and uh, there was quite a few... Uh, uh, Speedy was in charge of uh, the oh, really? uh, windsurfing there. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, he was a great guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, I get some great wind there. You take the shuttle bus from the uh, resort to the beach, and it's, it's almost always blowing there, right? Yeah. And oh. uh, it was great, but it's quite funny because uh, six months of the year, it's it's blowing all the time, and six months of the year, it's quiet. So, yeah, uh, yeah. but it's a beautiful place to be. All right. And from St. Lucia... We come to where we met, Columbus Isle. So that was the uh, October, you stayed October 99 to October 2000. So we spent Y2K together. So was uh, Columbus Isle 
one of your most beautiful resorts and the the geo rooms were uh, equally as nice geo rooms are pretty good but uh, there was a lot of strange things about uh, columbus island one of which is is uh, i think we talked about it uh, offline was they the the wife of the club med owner uh, designed the place and they basically made all the rooms beautiful and the restaurants and stuff, but they did not make a place to keep the food. So if anyone goes to Columbus, at least uh, as of a couple of years ago, uh, they were, like they have all these 18 wheelers just parked and that's the warehouse because they forgot to build it. Like uh, another thing about Columbus Island is, is uh, like uh, if you have tornadoes or not tornadoes, hurricanes, it uh, causes lots of uh, delays. So the food and beverage manager I was working with, I said, uh, you need to make sure that you plan in advance, like months, because uh, the wine just like uh, dwindles and stuff. Eh? And he's like, no, I want to keep a, a low stock, you know, uh, keep a cost low. And so we had a, a couple of hurricanes and there was a delay. And so you just saw the wine just go down to zero and then nothing. And uh, Philip, who was the chef de village, he actually said, I need to see wine on uh, the buffet uh, right now. And the, the food and beverage manager I was with just basically packed up and left. He just left. And so me, uh, I, I looked at it and I said, well, there's certain wines in the bar which uh, are roughly the same price, like maybe about uh, uh, 10 cents, 15 cents more. So I actually just started uh, cannibalizing uh, uh, the bar bottles and that's how we got through. But um, there was three times in Columbus Island where Club Med rented a jet, like a, like a, a private jet, and uh, flew us stock. And that's what happened on that day. Uh, basically, uh, I called up Philip Hoffman again. I keep name dropping him, but it, that was uh, uh, what he did was, was uh, he rented a jet and they're using all the air miles accumulated by the geos moving around the world. And uh, basically, this uh, uh, Lear jet pulled up, and there was about 60 cases of wine uh, just basically balanced on each seat. And uh, that's what we uh, used to get through for the next two or three weeks. Okay. Wow. <laughs> now, were you? do you remember the uh, the New Year's, uh, the Y2K there? Do you, do you remember that at all? Yeah. It, it was quite funny, actually, uh, just with the Y2K thing alone, because it was quite the party. But uh, there was another thing about the Y2K, which was... Uh, uh, stuck out my mind was um, when I was in St. Lucia, just going back, we had to interview all of our suppliers to make sure they're Y2K compliant. And so ClubMed gave me a 180 page document that I had to sit down with each supplier and say, do you have backup systems? Do you have uh, like uh, all this stuff? Like uh, just a uh, question after question. And all of the the, the developed suppliers with a computer system and uh, a transportation system, they all failed because uh, nobody has all these backups and redundancies and stuff. So the thing is, is uh, in St. Lucia, there was a bunch of farmers that would basically get a, a big bicycle and uh, like uh, dump all their uh, the stuff that they farmed and sell it to us like that. And they were the ones that were Y2K compliant because they didn't have anything. So it's like, uh, what happens if your uh, computer's blowing? He goes, I don't have a computer. I have a shovel. And I go, what happens if your shovel uh, gives out? And they're like, well, I just get another shovel. It's, it's, and so uh, it was such a joke that like, I'd be like, okay, like uh, the man with the shovel is Y2K compliant. I'll have to work with him. <laughs> you know, like uh, unbelievable. Okay. 
And then from uh, Columbus, you stay in the Bahamas. You go to Paradise Island and uh, you work with, you meet for the first time, Kevin Bat, who was your favorite chief of village. Do you mind saying why, why he was your favorite? Uh, I mean, uh, th- there's just uh, certain people that you come across where I, like uh, Kevin was not only uh, good with like people and uh, the guests and stuff, but uh, he actually uh, developed uh, people's careers. I, when I was listening uh, to uh, Eduardo, who you had on a few weeks ago, talk about Kevin Bat, I was like, yep, I, that's the exact same Kevin Bat that I know. He would uh, take all of the uh, kind of uh, new managers or managers-to-be, and he uh, had each of us read management books and uh, do a presentation to show uh, like uh, how um, the, the books we read would have, uh, apply to uh, like uh, bettering the hotel and uh, like uh, your interaction with individuals. And uh, the things that I learned that year with uh, Kevin Bat are still things that I apply to this day. I think he touched so many people. Uh, you know, I mean, the, everyone has, uh, the Chef de Gilles in general are wonderful people, but uh, uh, to me, Kevin stands above the rest. Uh, he's a great manager and uh, he's a great person. Nice. Now, in terms of, like, I also worked in Columbus Isle and Paradise Island. So in terms of your position at Economum, was uh, where was it easier to deal with suppliers or was it both was were they the same because we all know paradise island to me is kind of like new york city uh, like or nassau if you will and Par- and columbus isle is very peaceful and calm so was it easier dealing with suppliers in paradise uh yeah it was great especially because uh you had Atl- atlantis right next to you eh? so like oh, yeah. um uh, we set up a deal with our supplier because there'd be so many people that would be like, you know, rich and famous go to uh, Atlantis and then basically abort at the last minute. So they would uh, like order all this fancy food and then they would not show up and they said, well, what are we going to do with this fancy food? It's just going to go to waste. So I uh, came up with the um, uh, chef of uh, cuisine at the time was Eric Peters. And so we made a ton of money just basically providing this type of uh, food to Club Med guests. We said, yeah, yeah, we'll buy that. We'll buy your uh, Chateaubriand. We'll buy your uh, like filet mignon. Uh, and it was like 10% of the price. And so we had a great product. And it was actually quite uh, funny because Eric, at the end of the year, he says, we have to have a party. And I'm like, why? We've just saved all this money. And the, the thing is, is uh, they, if you are... Um, like uh, they give you, I think, the equivalent of like eight pounds or sorry, I'm talking English, uh, like eight dollars a day per guest. Like, uh, And if you are well under budget, they just basically write down your budget and uh, that's your new budget. So like, there's no motivation to, uh, to save money. So Eric is like, we're going to have the biggest party anyone has ever seen. And we're going to spend, spend, spend to get back our budgets back up to uh, where they are before. And so uh, we had about two or three parties that were just absolutely blowout. And uh, we had a, the greatest time. Uh, we all, uh, we dressed up as uh, the guys from Blue Man Group. So like uh, we had some drums and we were like uh, smashing away at the uh, drums and we completely redid the entire like a disco in uh, neon and we, we we covered up all the walls in uh, tin foil and then we used a uh, neon paint and everything basically became super neon and glowing and i think that was probably the best party i have ever thrown in my entire life i woke up the next morning as i had to do like uh, every morning and i just saw bodies everywhere <laughs> sounds like a 
good party yeah okay <laughs> and then from from paradise you go you go back to cancun for your last season and your chief of village is gus from australia correct yes another great guy uh and he was just one of these guys that seemed to have talent coming uh out of everything yes. i mean uh uh, he could. Uh, he was funny. He was good looking. He could play the violin. His he had a beautiful wife. He had a like a, just a very intelligent. You know, really nice guy. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was a nice. It was a nice season. Is there anything different from uh, that Cancun October two thousand one season to your your ninety seven or? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, it was quite funny because uh, two thousand and one in like uh, nineteen ninety seven, I guess. 1997 the crowds were probably in their 20s and uh, they it was just really crazy partying so every single night i mean uh, like again uh, uh, like i would have to wake up at uh, 6 and so i would party until about 3 and then like i'd go to sleep between 3 and 7 or 3 and 6 and then uh, wake up and everyone would be like oh my god you left at the best time they, they just and so like uh, i i missed so many stories and uh, when it was 2001 it, it just seemed like everyone had gotten a little bit older so for myself uh, i mean i i kind of grew tired of uh, like uh, the constant partying it just wasn't my thing anymore and um, like it seemed like uh, for the for the guests it was the same way. So like uh, you know like uh, uh, it would still be fun, but uh, you'd have uh, like what do you call it the phone parties and stuff. And it was always nice, but it was um, calmer. So like uh, people would go to bed at like one in the morning, whereas uh, before uh, there was parties going on until six, seven, eight. Like it just seemed to never stop. Yeah, that's right. I'm gonna say three things to you, and you tell me what this means. Okay, kung fu sure. fighting. Hands up, blame it on the boogie. Ah, uh, my three favorite uh, songs for uh, uh, happy signs or crazy signs. Your three favorite crazy signs. Okay, good, good. Uh, those are actually three three very different ones, and I uh, yeah, I would I would put those in order. Okay. <laughs> yeah, what's it? Uh, um, I mean, every once in a while, like uh, now the job that I have is uh, like a, kind of a serious job, or whatever. So every once in a while, in the back of my head, I'm going. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yes, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so do, uh, do you ever hear a song? Yeah, and then automatically like have to prevent yourself from dancing. Like, has it ever happened? You're in a grocery store, I guess, in England, and you hear a former crazy sign, and you're like, "Oh, please don't start moving side to side. Please don't start moving <laughs> side to side." Does this happen to you? Uh, yeah, but I, okay. I do it in such a way that uh, I make sure nobody's uh, looking or like. Uh, so I'll start doing okay. like uh, the side to side steps, and then if somebody looks up, I'll just basically stop and act normal. Besides uh, Kevin Bat, who you mentioned, were there any other employees or managers like who who stood out to you that you enjoyed working with or were appreciated? Uh, I, I mean, uh, pretty much all of them. I mean, uh, the the thing is, is uh, I, I probably spent uh, a few too many years in Club Med, but it's because I bought into uh, the lifestyle and I bought into uh, like uh, the concept of uh, just making people happy, you know. So, I mean, uh, Ye was a fantastic uh, chef de village, and uh, my brother and his family came to visit, and uh, he, he was so nice to them. I thought that was, uh, like, really special. I mean, uh, um, all the, the chef de village uh, uh, people were great. Guest was fantastic. Uh, yeah, just uh, Rico Pauletti, like, uh, super, super talented. I mean, uh, and uh, I just had the ability or uh, the, the, uh, the experience with, uh, it, like, there was Eduardo Roja, which was uh, on the show uh, just recently. There was Sylvie. There's, uh, I mean, uh, tons of chef de cuisine. I mean, uh, it was just a, a nice experience overall and one that I'll carry with me forever. 
Okay. I just want to just mention briefly what you're currently doing, and then we'll go back to Club Med. So, um, so when Can- Cancun's your last season, but ultimately you're living, you've been living in London, England the last 20 years, correct? Yes. So how's it happened that, you know, a guy from Montreal, like how'd, how'd you wind up in England? Well, um, from uh, Cancun, I uh, got a job working in Belize, of all places. Uh, that's just uh, south of uh, Mexico as uh, a food and beverage manager for Radisson. And uh, they had lots of uh, IT systems. And so uh, I started, you know, um, like I, I've always loved computers anyway. Uh, but I went there and uh, basically the systems were crashing badly. And each time that the system would crash, they'd fly somebody in to fix it. And they would uh, literally pay them in cash, uh, like uh, four or 5,000 uh, every month. And the general manager said, I'm not uh, paying someone to fly in every time. You have to do this. And so basically when I finished uh, uh, my regular work, I would just take all these manuals and just start going through them. And I'd make little changes bit by bit. And then... The, wait, Willie, wait, William, are you saying you're, you're self-taught on these IT systems? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I've got other stuff that kind of uh, uh, I've learned over the years to kind of support it. But uh, yeah, at the beginning, uh, I just basically would uh, read manuals nonstop and then basically uh, play with them uh, and kind of go now, from there. Now, are these IT systems like just for like food and beverage? They're made well, at, at the time it was for stock and uh, PMS and uh, for like, uh, yeah, the like uh, uh, till systems, like food and beverage. So it was just uh, everything like uh, so and also to people's uh, like uh, computers would just stop running. And so I'd be like, OK, well, uh, let's see what we can do, you know. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, uh, I've always enjoyed it and I've always liked tinkering with stuff. And uh, all of a sudden, the company that provides these systems uh, came one day and said, well, you don't call us anymore. So we'd like to find out what you're using. And uh, at the time, I was quite emotional with it. I said, I learned your system. I do it myself. I know what I'm like. And so uh, they, they said, you know what? You're hired. And I, I said, well, I didn't really know I was applying for a job. And they just said, look, uh, whatever you're making, uh, I think we can probably uh, double it. So I was like, sure. <laughs> so all of a sudden, uh, I started working for uh, uh, this IT company, and they sent me everywhere. They sent me to, uh, uh, at that time, um, uh, Desert Storm or whatever was kicking off. Not Desert Storm. Uh, 2001, it was uh, uh, the first war in Iraq. And so uh, they sent me to U.S. military bases to uh, um, kind of fix their uh, like uh, uh, systems and I eventually made my way um, to England because they were really missing uh, IT people. And uh, actually, I ended up staying in the UK until 2009. And that's when I permanently set down roots and got married and uh, got a mortgage. Okay. Now, you also mentioned when you went to UK, you worked in the stadiums of Arsenal, Wembley, and Everton. Now, if this yes. question's going to get you in trouble, do not answer it. Okay? Do you have That's a? Fine. Do you like one of those stadiums more than the others? <laughs> I'm not saying uh, the, the football team, just the stadium. Okay. Or, but if it gets you in trouble, don't answer it because I know they take it seriously over there. No, no. I mean, um, well, I, Wembley, I, Wembley, we always see in the concerts, right? We always see in the big, the big concerts. So, is is one more impressive than the other? Maybe that's the question. Um, well, Wembley, they actually changed systems about uh, two years after we put it in. So, uh, like, uh, uh, and I only went there a few times and stuff. Um, uh, for Arsenal, uh, I would go there probably like uh, 
once a month uh, just to watch the games because uh, they had a, a box. So like I used to hobnob with all the the big wigs and stuff. So I, I suppose if there is a team that I follow, it's Arsenal. So what's it like? Uh, every- what's it like? What's it like? Because you know you, you you might go to a Montreal Canadian game here in Montreal, but what's it like going to your first you know European you know Arsenal football game? It's crazy, right? The crowds are screaming and chanting and singing, right? Yeah, but to be honest, uh, Arsenal, I I kind of uh, like have a bit of contempt for their fans because uh, basically, if Arsenal like uh, is losing, everyone like gets up and leaves halfway through, and I, I find that uh, being a diehard Montreal Canadiens fan, like uh, even if the Montreal Canadiens stink to high heaven, uh, I will still appreciate them. Whereas. Uh, uh, the Arsenal people, I, I thought it was an insult if they get up and leave on their fans. Like, uh, so uh, for me, even though I follow Arsenal the most, I, I actually don't have much respect for their fans. Okay, and you are currently working for my one of two of my favorite restaurants, Burger King and Popeyes. And uh, forgive me if I ask you this again. Why can't I get Popeyes in Quebec? Why do I have to drive to Ontario <laughs> every time to get Popeyes? <laughs> Popeyes uh, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm Quebec. sure uh, they will uh, make their way to Quebec uh, fairly soon. But, okay, uh, good. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, uh, it's a franchise. So uh, the company I'm working for has bought the rights to uh, Popeyes, and uh, they have the rights to uh, Burger King in uh, Scandinavia. So for Popeyes, uh, in the past year, we've opened about... Uh, 18 restaurants and uh burger king we've got 120 restaurants uh, over three countries see I, I so i can get popeyes in england home of everything and i can't get it in quebec is that what you're telling me yeah and okay. the funny thing is is uh, uh you know it's opening up a lot in the uk tim what? hortons like oh, uh, that's right yeah i saw a photo you recently posted right yeah, uh, and uh, I know how much uh, Canadians identify with Tim Hortons. I think it's uh, hilarious that uh, uh, they're uh, uh, branching out into the UK because, uh, you know, like um, such a Canadian brand is uh, taking on international business. I, I think it's uh, commendable. Well, my listeners will kill me if I don't ask you this question. So do Timbits taste the same in England as they do in Canada? I, I think so. But, oh, you didn't uh, have the, the Timbits yet? My well, God, no, the, the problem is, is I know they taste good, but uh, I have not been back to Canada in uh, 10 years. And uh, I forget a lot of uh, what it's like to be in Canada. And uh, people always ask me, you know, like, what are your thoughts about this? What are your feelings about this? And the thing is, is uh, um, I do my best to uh, answer, but deep in my mind, I'm like, God, am I really Canadian anymore? I mean, like, uh, uh, I feel Canadian, but like, uh, I think my accent's changed a bit, like, uh, and just things like that. Like, uh, I, I don't know how close uh, my feelings are with uh, the rest of Canada now. Well, here's a real kicker. When you dream, are you dreaming that you're talking with an English accent, like from England? Has that happened yet? Uh, no, I, I mean, oh, okay. I, I, <laughs> I, I, talk, I talk the way I talk, but uh, th- there's probably a few words that uh, are the norm for me now. Like, I have to... I always want to say pound. I don't want to say dollar. I, like, uh, I always, you know, like, uh, I, I start to say the uh, English words like I'm completely chuffed or it's chock a block on a highway, you know, it's just stuff like that. Like, uh, I don't think I'll ever speak with an English accent, but uh, uh, over time, you kind of integrate uh, mannerisms and uh, uh, colloquialisms uh, in the country that you're in. Okay. Let's go back to Club Med. So, are you able to tell me the three things you miss the most about Club Med? Oh, I mean, um, the greatest thing about Club Med is, is especially when you go to the nightclub at night, you're in a secure area. 
I mean, um, so I, I, I always felt at home in like uh, the nightclubs and stuff. And I know that uh, basically I don't have to drive and uh, there's not going to be uh, somebody going to mug me uh, when I come out of the, the disco and stuff. So I, that was something that I always appreciated. I also enjoyed the, the people because uh, people do not go to Club Med, at least geos. They don't do it for the money. They do it for the experience. And you're, you're basically putting your talents and everyone else's talents in a way that is just basically giving uh, uh, to uh, um, like contributing to the vacation of others. And I think that was a fantastic, you know, uh, way of life, you know, uh, and I think that's great. I mean, uh, probably the third thing I'd have to say is that I have to admit the food. Like uh, I, I love to eat and the ability to uh, uh, eat as much as I want, whatever I wanted. And uh, like a, um, in that setting and to meet new people, I thought was always fantastic. I agree. hundred <laughs> percent. Now, uh, do you have a, ma- a magical season, William, like, or of all the resorts that you worked at, do you like them for different reasons? But was there one team or resort that stood out to you the most? Uh, I'd have to say that uh, the first time I went to Cancun was unbelievable. Uh, like every single night was, uh, uh, absolutely crazy and they were all people the same age as myself and uh, like uh, everyone was just uh, keen to have as great a time as possible and uh, yeah I mean uh, daddios and coco bongos and uh, like uh, uh, just uh, also too um, like uh, the reef like I used to spend every afternoon um, like uh, swimming uh, like uh, outside the reef that was where actually um uh, you know how Cancun kind of goes out to a point that area is kind of like where all the sharks are and stuff, which is not the place you want to go, but uh, near um, the kind of like a uh, beach to the side, uh, there was tons and tons of uh, parrotfish and octopi and uh, uh, like uh, uh, just uh, uh, man, like uh, what do you call it? Stingrays and stuff. Like uh, I went back the second time and all of the fish kind of disappeared but like uh, to immerse yourself in like uh, that type of uh, like uh, nature every single day for free uh, was fantastic. Excellent. Now, before I let you go, because uh, I really want to thank you for sharing your story. Am I forgetting to ask you anything, anything you wanted to say? I know we covered a lot, but uh, please tell me. No. If- or something. No, uh, okay. <laughs> uh, thanks for the opportunity, and uh, like it's also good to be able to reconnect. Uh, I love your podcast uh, because it's bringing up all these people that uh, I shared excellent experiences with uh, many, many years ago. So it's uh, very nostalgic. Oh, so thank, uh, you. thank you for uh, providing this to, to everyone. Thank you, and thank you for for coming on my first season and sharing your story today. Thank you very much. Great, thanks. Everyone, that was William Connors from London, England, and we'll see you all next week. Say bye, William. Bye.